The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Debenport. Hey, this is Voices of Unity, and I'm Ellen Debenport. We are starting a new series today about Unity's co-founder, Myrtle Fillmore. And if you think you know all there is to know about Myrtle, just wait. We'll be telling you more. Voices of Unity is a show that invites different New Thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise. It helps you dive deep into spiritual topics and discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. And every time we start a new series, I go through my whole bio just so you'll know who I am. I'm Ellen Devonport. I'm the host and kind of an MC for this show. The guests really bring all the content. I just ask questions. I'm a Unity Minister. I'm the author of two books, The Five Principles and Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door. I had two churches in Texas. And I'm now working at Unity World Headquarters, which is just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. I'm in charge of the communications department. So I get to oversee many of the ways that Unity shares its message with the world, and Unity Online Radio is one of them. We also have magazines, books, booklets, websites, emails, social media, all of that. People all over the world are excited to learn about these actually ancient spiritual principles taught in Unity especially as more and more of us describe ourselves as spiritual but not religious. So the guests on this show are Unity ministers and others who can share something special they've learned. They have a body of work. And they're not just one-time guests. They stay for several weeks so we can deeply explore their areas of interest. Sometimes they'll talk about Unity teaching specifically. Sometimes it's more generally related to spiritual practice. But this new series is very much about unity and Myrtle Fillmore and her spiritual practices. So we are welcoming Reverend Kelly Isola. Kelly, you there? I am. Thanks so much for joining us. Today she's in South Carolina beaming in, and I'm in the tower at Unity Village. Kelly, I never know how to describe you or describe what you do. You do so (laughs) many different things. Do you want to just tell people something about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm laughing because um, I hear my mother say that. I hear friends say that. Mm-hmm. I hear, you know, whenever I'm, I have to send a bio into something for whatever the event is, it's always a little bit different depending on who the audience is. Right. So I, I generally refer to myself, I mean, you know, if I had to pick a couple words, it's, I jokingly say a, a gypsy minister oh. because uh or as my friend Doris Hoskins says, a minister at large, um, because I'm I I'm not in a church. I work with uh, churches and faith-based organizations, not just not just Unity, but around the country. Um, to in what's what's technically referred to as organizational development. So anything that falls under that umbrella, you know, congregational healing, strategic planning, you know, working on mission. Um, conflict transformation, leadership development, um, 
So that's that's kind of one area. And so anything that an organization needs to to be on purpose, to live their why, um, which includes marketing. Um, and I teach for UWSI, Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute. I'm a faculty for the ministerial program. Um, I do a lot of writing. Um, I'm a disaster chaplain. So that's one of the ways I support uh, faith-based organizations, specifically moving through change. And when there's a disaster, there's a lot of change. Uh, and, mean- and also for the state of Missouri, Missouri Interfaith Disaster Response Organization. In Kansas City, I'm the chair of the Interfaith Council, so I'm heavily involved in interfaith work within Unity and outside of Unity. So, honestly, if you wanted to, if someone wanted to read more, if you go to my website, kellyasilla.com, and you can um, read more if you need more details. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good synopsis. Yeah. Kelly yeah, was. Um, I, every time I do it, I think I've left something important out, but I figure whatever comes out of my mouth is what's important in the moment. Yeah. And she's talking about real disasters. Churches have all kinds yeah. of disasters, but oh, um, yeah. she was the minister in Joplin, Missouri, after that church and most of the town was flattened mm-hmm. by a tornado and yep. um, has done a lot of thinking about what happened there and how that affected the congregation and what they learned from it. And, and connected with faith communities after Hurricane Harvey. Um, I'm doing the same thing after the hurricane that just went through the panhandle of um, Florida because um, we have some churches there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yes, real disaster. Active shooters. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But one of the things she has done is spend a whole lot of time uh, here on campus in the Unity Archives looking at everything we have on Myrtle Fillmore. Some of it's been published. A lot of it hasn't. And I think I know the story of Myrtle, but Kelly says, no, there's a whole lot more to it. So today we wanted mostly to talk about Myrtle's story. And then in subsequent weeks, we'll talk about some of the things she did. Like um, she was a suffragette. She worked for women to get the vote, right? Yep. And we'll talk about her healing practices, because Myrtle was all about healing. And Kelly will even lead some of that experientially. So I think it's going to be a great series. Okay, so I know Myrtle's story. She was sickly all her life. She went to a lecture and heard, I'm a child of God, and therefore I do not inherit sickness. And over a couple of years of meditation, she healed herself, right? That's how the story goes. That, I love that story. Are you going to burst that bubble? Well, um, I'll try not to. How about if I expand the bubble? Okay. Um, yeah. So we don't we don't actually technically know that she had tuberculosis, but I, I'm uh, that's not for me. That's not what I've discovered about Myrtle is that the diagnosis is not the hot issue. Mm-hmm. Um, she does, though, she writes in repeated places about all of her ailments. Of, so suffering from the pain in her joints, digestion issues, um, you know, respiratory, um, you know, just headaches, um, not being able to sleep. Uh, she just, she, in several places, describes lots of symptoms that just make life uncomfortable. And it's also important for everything that you know about like especially today's show was we're talking about 
uh, Myrtle and her story, which is not a single story. And, and um, there's a danger in putting something into a single story because I think you you miss a lot. And we, you know, we just sort of can go a little, we've just missed the good, some of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, but but the at the time, you know, 100, 150 years ago, um, tuberculosis was a term that was used for a multitude of things, whether you had a diagnosis or not. It's sort of like, um, 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 it, oh, I forget what the word is, but it's just, a, it, tuberculosis was a word, whether you had a diagnosis or not, that when you had some symptoms and it didn't seem anything to help it, then it was, that was sort of the what you got. But, right. but in terms of, if you're looking for proof, there isn't really something out there. But for me, it's the so what was going on and, and what do you do with those things and how do you, you know, um, live with it and where does it come from and, and what is the healing process? And, and, it's, and it was longer than two years. It wasn't one of the things I discover about Myrtle is that it's not a, it's, it's um, at times it sounds like a, you know, one and done, like you pray for this, done, moving on. Mm-hmm. And then other times as you read her writings, you, you hear she'll mention, you know, about maybe the pain in her knees. And so it was healing becomes a, a, a journey um, and certainly relief and certainly, certainly things that would, we might label as cured, but it wasn't like, okay, two years done and never came back again. And I, and for me, what's actually the bigger thing about it is, is how she was showing up in the world by, by practicing, you know, her practice of healing and it shifted how she showed up in the world. Right. And so mm-hmm. how people received her and how people experienced her, which then expands your capacity to show up and do more good. You know, it just it's it's uh, while certainly we all would love relief from physical ailments. I think there's there's more beyond that. That's really quite powerful. OK, so she grew up in Ohio, uh-huh. had an, an intact family, Methodist yep. parents. Methodist Episcopalian. She was the seventh of eight children. Wow. Okay. Busy house. Yeah. And what I've read about her is that she was kind of a dreamy little girl. She would lie in the grass and watch the clouds go by and uh, and could even leave her body and float among the treetops. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, I, I would. Yeah, I like that expression, dreamy little girl. And I think that stays with her when you, as you read, um, she's got quite a, a library of poetry and um, and prose and uh, you know songs. She wrote hymns that um, I think require that kind of uh, capacity to be kind of dreamy, to be um, you know uh, esoteric, or to be just that disconnect from logical, rational, you know, literal. Because um, her she the family was we would probably label as sort of strict you know, Methodist, and she kind of like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Right. I didn't know she wrote hymns. Yes, she did. And she even, and you probably, I may have said this to you before, but we, you know, in unity, we sometimes enjoy changing the words to hymns to, to, to something, you know, that we'd like to sing better. Yes. Uh, and Myrtle, we come by it honestly. Myrtle did that too. She actually changed the words to, to Ave Maria, which I, when I discovered oh. that, I thought, are you allowed to do that? Can you? <laughs> I, you can change a lot of words to songs, but I think Ave Maria is one of those. You, I, yeah, 
<laughs> okay, so this was the Midwest before the Civil War. Yep. Yes. And I, you know, I have to stop and remember that. Yes. So. Which is really, I've, really, really important, I mm-hmm. believe, to understanding her story. It's the same thing when you read the Bible. For the most part, people read the Bible and and overlay 21st century or even 20th century thinking onto what they're reading, and you just you it's you you'll you'll miss what's actually being written and said, and you need you need to put on your 2,000 year old Hebrew eyes when you read scripture, and the same for me is true when I look at you know Myrtle Fillmore and I look at you know and Charles Fillmore whatever where are they in the country, what year, what's going on. It's all of it informs like us today. Mm -hmm. It informs our experience. Mm -hmm. So how did it make a difference in her life? Well, I believe it, um, that, uh, you know, Missouri, so she was born in, um, in Ohio and then, um, she went to, uh, Oberlin college, um, which is also in Ohio Mm -hmm. and Oberlin college was the first, college in the country to admit women and blacks. So she enrolled in a place that um, now they started accepting uh, women and blacks in the late thirties, early forties. So when she came along, um, that would have been mid 1860s. um, It wasn't very, it wasn't very long, but um, just short enough that she's for me, I think that's still in the consciousness that this is a new thing and that she's kind of riding this revolutionary wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it would have been, um, she graduated in 1967. So that would have been just, just post civil war. And while Ohio was not a slave state, she soon after that went to Missouri. Missouri is a former slave state. So um, I, I think that um, being in Ohio being which which would have been at the at the time she didn't come from a big town it was north of columbus ohio uh you know farmland um quasi frontier um you know a religious background um it just that that energy of entrepreneur or that energy of pioneer mm-hmm. right that energy of doing outside the norm i mean even even just enrolling at Oberlin College, you know, and the classes that would have been available to her were not the norm at all. Um, I thought she to, went there to be a school teacher, to learn to be a school teacher. She did. And Oberlin College, um, so the literary course for ladies was what she took. <laughs> and But the courses that she would have gotten at the same time, what she would have been exposed to, would not have been, not all of them would have been the norm for um, say every college across the country, so things about um, in science um, and an expanded uh, selection of literature, um, which shows up in some of her writings. Like that, every time I come across something, she she footnotes. She's much better than Charles. Charles Fillmore, gotta love him, right? Yeah. Um, standing on his shoulders and. He so often writes something, you know, this famous psychiatrist of our day, and then he keeps writing, but never tells you who, you know, quotes <laughs> right. the person that doesn't give you a name or a source. But Myrtle, for in large part, does at least give you a source, uh, not every single time. And so I've 
I track those down when I come across them. And, and, um, there, and because of, so, so I believe that because of her, I mean, while she was only at the school for a short time, it was just, you know, to become a school teacher, what the influences that she had from there, um, you know, just, I think for someone that's already curious, someone that's already, you know, open-minded compared to her parents, um, is just going to be this giant sponge. She loved to read. Yeah. Loved to read. So this must be why she chose Oberlin is because it was open and interested in new ideas and willing to allow women and blacks to come. And right. I mean, that's remarkable for just after the civil war. Yes. Yep. Um, and they started, well, and they started, they, the Oberlin College started, I think it was like 1837 or something when they admitted it. So it was, you know, certainly while while Ohio was not a slave state, it was certainly during, before the Civil War, they, they started doing that. So mm-hmm. she's already in an energy of, um, you know, what, you know, what's, what conventional wisdom can I upset? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Huh. And so, yeah, she does go to, she does go to, um, she spends 13 years in Clinton. She comes to Missouri and spends 13 years teaching. Um, and Clinton is not too far south of where we are in, you know, Kansas City at Unity Village. Right. Um, uh, there was a year in there that she went to Texas um, for her health. Mm-hmm. And that's where she met Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, but Denison, Texas would have been even more remote than Clinton, Missouri. And more conservative. And more conservative, yep. So so she was essentially a spinster school marm when she met Charles. Because she would have been, what, 30? Uh, Yes. So they got married in 1881. She, he was nine years younger than her. Mm-hmm. So I also, again, something else that, I mean, even today, if, you know, when, how many jokes do people make about, you know, if you meet a woman who's got a boyfriend or a husband that's 10 years younger than them, you know, people, oh, cougar, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, <laughs> and we're talking, you know, in 1881, so 130 years ago. Right. Um, and she's nine years older. Um, so what's the math? 75, so 30. She was, yeah, in her 30s. Yeah. So they met at the, uh, what was it, the Denison Literary Society? Uh-huh. And as the story goes, she got up to read something. I don't know if she'd written it or was just reading something. And Charles nudged a friend and said, that's the woman I'm going to marry. Do you know if there's any truth to that? I want it to be true. I, I you know what, I don't, I don't know. If <laughs> okay. any truth to that. But it's a good story. I like it. And actually, the reason I really like it is that he... Um, uh, he kind of, I love the idea of Charles saying, you know, that's the woman I'm going to marry. And then it takes him a while to actually reel her in, um, yeah. you know, and there's this, this, this relationship through mail and a friendship that gets built through, through sending letters to each other and uh, getting to know each other through letters. And she, I just, you know, it's my own interpretation, but I like to think of it as like, she's sort of slowly reeling them in. Like, let me see what you think about this or, what you think about that or like, I'm not going to do what you want. You, you can come follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have did. those letters? He actually did with several things. He followed her. And do you, do we have the letters? Um, some of them. Um, there's that one, um, you know, the one that most people, um, 
know about where she talks about she she sort of it sounds like she's kind of chastising him about he's questioning what she believes and what she thinks and she comes back am i you know like am i not allowed to have eclectic ideas <laughs> you know like she's sort of like pushing back and like are you trying to put me in a box um you know and you know this is who i am and this is what i believe and it's eclectic and sort of you can get on board with it or not i just love that um, yeah, yeah. Because in her thirties, she must have been under some pressure, or or have been long past the years of pressure to get married and have children and conform. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> I I um I've often thought of that, and I <clears throat> I just really <clears throat> excuse me. I just really um I think she was so committed to learning like for me the way I experience her so she's a teacher um, and when you read her letters she has that kind of teachery voice you know that um, that that often and, and you hear it in the two books that are published how to let God help you which is some of her um, a few of her lessons or essays and then some are letters that she you know people wrote in for prayer and she wrote back mm-hmm. and then there's and that's how to let God help you. And then there's Myrtle Fillmore's healing letters that are specifically just letters that she responded. And you can hear in some of the letters, um, more so in the letters, I think, than in some of her, her essays or, and she didn't do a lot of teaching, but a few of her lessons of the teaching lessons that she's, um, and I just came across one a couple of weeks ago where she's saying to the woman, okay, you've written in numerous times <clears throat> and we've told you what to do and you're choosing not to do it. So we're, yeah. And she doesn't say, so we're done, but she's very clear that we can't help you. She says it. We can't help you because you've written in for this, whatever this, you know, ailment or whatever your prayer request was numerous times. And we have always responded and here's what we've always told you. And you've chosen not to, so we can't help you. Wow. And I thought, you go girl. (laughs) Yeah. There's the school marm. Yes. Yes. You haven't done your lessons. That's right. And when she and when she tells someone, when she gives someone, you know, uh, some advice or or here, try this, you know, a practical application kind of thing, she sets it out fairly linear. Uh, people always, not not everyone, but I've heard for years, ref, Charles is referred to the head and Myrtle is referred to as the heart. Right. And I, I think that's completely untrue, and I think it's unfair. Uh, because it puts Myrtle into, again, that danger of the single story. It puts her into a box. Myrtle was really quite brilliant. And she was a strong proponent of developing the intellect of going and learning. And like anything, she also made sure to tell you that you can go overboard in your learning. Mm-hmm. Um, like not solely focus on your intellect. But it's part of, you know, when you say body, mind, spirit, her threefold healing mind is she's literally referring to your intellect you need to go learn a few things um i've you know she um in one letter she this is in the archives um a woman has written in about um she doesn't like the very literal bible teaching that's going on where she lives in i think she's in georgia and she's just and she just is the writer of the letter is saying that it just doesn't make sense and it's literal. And so Myrtle writes back and is very clear with the woman telling her that you need to go do some education because if you, this is not, 
If you keep listening to this little or literal interpretation, you will never get the healing nature of Jesus' teachings. So you need to go do some educate. Like she's she's wow. very clear. Mm-hmm. Go, you need to go learn and stop listening to these people, and you need to go learn. Um, so so back to the time when she and Charles were courting, and then they got married. This is all pre unity. Well, yep. does, does spirituality show up in her writings from then? Was she um, always spiritual? I would I would say yes, um, in part because she's some of the the things that I've come across that she read were um, um, I would say were spiritual in nature, um, and again I there's sort of the you know, how are we defining spiritual? But um, she she comes across um, just some of the things she's reading are just quite spiritual and, and kind of esoteric. Um, you know, she, she reads um, people um, that influenced the theosophists, mm-hmm. um, Alice Bailey, and, and she reads, there's one... Um, it's a, it's actually a poem that's like a hundred pages long, but it's called silence. Hmm. Um, and it's from 1875, I believe, but it's this, it's this, um, hundred page poem. And the reason it's a hundred pages is because the author doesn't put much on a page, mm-hmm. uh, but it's all about the silence and it's very, it has that very sort of roomy-esque feeling. It has that very, um, it uh, sometimes has a cadence of like the Psalms. And, um, and it's, it is use the word God, but there's not, there's no particular faith tradition, you know, detailed. It doesn't, it's not about Jesus or it's not about, um, particular scripture. Um, but it just goes on and on and on. And it's about nature and the wind and, you know, like every sound shall end in silence, but the silence never dies, you know, and it, and it's just uses every spiritual sort of hook that you could like nature and children and um, you know, the weather and, um, and God and, you know, silence and. Wow. So you hear the music that means we need to take a break. Wow. That was fast. It was fast. And there's a lot more of Myrtle's life to talk about. So we'll get them married and on their way when we come back after these messages with voices of unity. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate Today. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Iyanla Van Zandt, taken from a Celebrate Your Life event in Phoenix, Arizona. 
the universe is not going to wait for you. And if you keep talking yourself out of what you're told to do because of your negative self-talk or the crazy you inherited, somebody else is going to pick up on the idea. How many times have you been told to do something and you start figuring out the how? But the philosopher Nietzsche told us if you've got a strong enough what, the how will be provided. The way you do the things that the universe is calling you to do is don't ask how. When you get the instruction, just start moving. Everything else will show up for you. To find a Celebrate Your Life event near you, visit CelebrateYourLife.com. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and deepen your spiritual journey. Pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber talks about the need to make a holy shift. Carolyn Mace gets gutsy with God. Justine Willis-Toms dives into new dimensions. And Alberto Violdo shares an excerpt from his new book, Heart of the Shaman. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. For over 23 years, Liz Dawn and her team at Celebrate Your Life have been presenting transformative events with some of the world's leading spiritual teachers. Experience a Celebrate Your Life event for yourself, October 31st to November 4th in beautiful Sedona, Arizona. Explore your spirituality and open your mind to some new ideas. These events are awesome soul fests that heal and transform. Log on to CelebrateYourLife.com to find out more. Discover what your dreams are trying to tell you. Join dream expert, best-selling author, and hypnotherapist Kelly Sullivan Walden for Ask Dr. Dream every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Central. Kelly will awaken you to the wisdom of your dreaming mind with expert interpretation as well as introduce you to fascinating guests. Each week, you'll get information you can use to help make decisions and gain greater self-awareness. Join the show live or listen later on demand here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. We're back. We're talking today with Reverend Kelly Isola. Kelly, tell him again your website. Is kellyisola.com, K-E-L-L-Y-I-S-O-L-A.com. And so you can read more about her there because she does many and varied things. <laughs> uh, but one of the things she does is really dig into Myrtle Fillmore and the unpublished writings that we have and Myrtle's real story. So, so what we were getting to just before the break, you know, the, as the story goes, the mythical traditional story, Charles did all the reading. You know, he read all about the world's religions and then he pulled the the threads, the principles into what he taught in unity and Myrtle apparently just sat in a closet and prayed. And <laughs> but it's turning out she was very well read and intellectual and may have been leading him. Yeah, it's hard to know. Um I think that's part of the you know, the danger of a single story is is because of the, <clears throat> she lived in a Victorian patriarchal world, 
Um, and yet uh, she was, for me, she was in a larger role of driving the boat. Yeah. Um, although, you know, he, you know, was the businessman, the real estate. Um, but it was, we know that, you know, Silent Unity began as a society for silent help. And uh, it was her doing and that she, she, you know, started her own prayer and meditation practice. And Charles said, I'll wait and see what happens. Right. And then he decided to, you know, jump on board. Um, but okay. She, she wrote and wrote and wrote letters. Yeah. So back to our chronology, they got married in 1881 and what I've read is they traveled by stagecoach to Pueblo, Colorado. Yeah. From, from Missouri. Yeah. Can you imagine how exhausting and uncomfortable that must have been? No, not really. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, so they were in Colorado. They had two little boys and ended up in Kansas City, right? Yeah. Um, and later had a third boy. But I, I have tried to imagine Kansas City in this would have been the 1880s. Mm-hmm. And I know that livestock were brought in on trains. And that's mm-hmm. about all I know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, so Missouri has a has an interesting uh, past. Um, and so I'm going to back up a little bit before the time they got there, because I think what was going on still, you know, is, is lingering in consciousness and certainly is part of the cultural DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, lives, li- certainly livestock, uh, the, the, you know, the train came through the river, you know, so it was this, this place of, you know, intersection, for a lot of uh, industry, for a lot of culture, you know, there was quite a few um, uh, Native American uh, tribes in Missouri um, that were moved out. Uh, there was um, also, uh, it seemed like, I joke with people that it's like Missouri was sort of like, there must have been some kind of cliff there because uh, a whole lot of people sort of stopped in Missouri. Like they headed west and stopped, not just like Charles and Myrtle, but um, the Church of Jesus Christ, you know, Joseph Smith, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints stopped mm-hmm. here. You know, there's the Nazarenes. There's just different, you know, sort of religious groups or um, that it was like, we're going to pause. And I don't know if it was just, I'm tired, so we're stopping <laughs> in Missouri and we're not going any further. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, by the time, you know, Charles and Myrtle get here, it is a state. Um, but it has a, it has a, an interesting past. It was, you know, Lewis and Clark came through and um, it was a former slave state. Um, it actually never, for only, you know, when the United States took on prohibition, uh, Missouri said, no, thank you. And was not, uh, and though Kansas was, did, did adopt the prohibition in the twenties, uh, Missouri said, no, we're not going to. Um, and even earlier than that, uh, and never, never really did. So people, people came to Kansas city to drink, to drink. Yes. Um, so, 
um, and it's, you know, a large part of the state is, is farmland and it still is. Um, but industry certainly grew up in, in Kansas city. Um, there was, it was pretty diverse for late 19th century, mid to late 19th century because of the river, because of the trains. Um, and it was the, the place to stop permanently or before you keep going. So for so me, Go ahead. In nineteen eighty, I'm thinking horseback. Yes. They would have had horses. Yes. And trains and stagecoaches. That's how they got around. Yeah. Uh unless you were going further and then you'd get on the river. Okay. Um, but yeah. And so um, you know, while Unity Village came later, but being in Kansas City would have it would have been quite a trek to get from Kansas City out to Unity Village at the time, um, or any kind of land outside of Kansas City. Right. So, right. Um, but it's for, given that it's in the middle of the country, it actually was quite, uh, certainly not as diverse as it is today, but but certainly fairly, you know, had, had more diversity than a lot of Midwestern places because of this sort of, you know, this triangle of, of, coming and going of mm-hmm. trading of, of people of moving just people moving west and so ideas would be coming through <clears throat> it wasn't um um you know they would have met people coming through they would have met uh, uh they wouldn't have had to go far to also connect with other people um around the kansas city area it's hard to it's hard to you have to think about it as you know, a hundred plus years ago that Kansas City, while we think of it as a city or any city you're in, that it did not look remotely like that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but um, it was, there was a large German population, um, German Catholics, German Lutherans, Methodists, Kansas City uh, was also, would be home to um, um you know, events, um, you know, like the one that they went to where they heard E.D. Weeks. Um, so anybody that's on on a path of being a speaker or, you know, a teacher or even a traveling, you know, minister or evangelist would have come through mm-hmm. um, Kansas City. So just giving them exposure. Um, and in fact, one of the one of the biggest things that I think um, when I look at, you know, one of the big questions we have in unity is, you that I hear over and over is, are we Christian? And and I hear people, you know, some people can discuss it. Some people kind of get upset. Some people say, absolutely. Some people say, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's, it's not really the right question. Are we Christian? Um, my, my question is always, you know, why does it matter? And I'm not, I'm not proposing to have a yes or a no answer. I kind of look at, is it why, why do I need that? Why, why is that important? But I, but it does point me to, what's going on in Missouri, what's going on in Kansas city when Charles and Myrtle get here, you mm-hmm. know, when they, and what's, what's alive in the world. And so they would have stepped into a world that already had other, you know, religious and um, influences going on. It's, I think we tend to think of it because it's the Midwest that it was solely Christian and, and in large part it was, but not just one flavor of Christianity. So, for instance, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. There was, in there was the Mormon Wars that took place in the late 30s, you know, into the early 40s, 
that um, while Charles and Myrtle come, you know, 40 years later, um, it's still, for me, I can't imagine that those, that thought and those ideas and the persecution of Mormons is not still hanging around in consciousness, is not still hanging around in, you know, family lore and family tradition and family mm-hmm. stories. And it it was, you know, here they come with this very different uh, expression of Christianity and they're, they're persecuted and murdered. In fact, there was a law in the books that said you could murder a Mormon on sight that was on the books in Missouri. Really? Wow. 1976. 1976. Some of the listeners may not know that Mormons, as they traveled west, stopped for a long time in Missouri and then eventually continued on to Utah. But there is a remnant of them still here. Yes. In fact, they opened a huge cathedral in 2012 mm-hmm. in north of Kansas City. But th- so there was a it was it was literally the Mormon wars and and persecution. And so and in large part because what they offered was a very different you know, that's not Christianity. He's not a prophet. You can't say, you know, this this backlash to a, a different interpretation or understanding of, of some Christian values and Christian beliefs. And uh, so so then was it did it take a lot of courage for Charles and Myrtle to step out and say we're seeing Christianity differently? Well, I think that's I think yes. And I also think it's why they kind of packaged it a little bit in mm-hmm. some traditional Christian language. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. It's not like anybody wrote that down somewhere, but I'm always looking at the story, anybody's story, from multiple perspectives. Like what was going on at the time that they're doing their own, because they're doing their own self-reflection. They're doing their learning. They're, you know, coming together in groups and studying and discussing and what's the latest information on religion and what's, you know, and studying the Bible. And the reality is, is that unity teachings are very Hindu and yeah. and very um, Eastern philosophy, very much, very much. And it gets referred to in, in Myrtle refers to it. And one of them that she refers to is a Hindu teaching It's called Alankavatara Sutra. Um, and it's the teaching about involution and evolution. And when you read the sutra, it says it talks about how. Uh, God, you know, spirit, not God, like as an anthropomorphic, but spirit, this principle, you know, involves to more, to more and more limited form until you get to the body, you know, that like you and I see, Mm -hmm. you know, physical matter, and then takes a journey to evolve, which is sort of working your way back to spirit, in Mm you know, simple sort of way. But I I believe that it's so when the question is, are we Christian? I'm not sure that for me, it matters that I have to pick one. Um, why does it important to me to maybe pick one? Um, but to to look at the larger picture and look at the larger influence and look at the larger story, because our teachings are very Eastern, they are very Hindu, then they're informed from multiple sources. And I tend to think that what Missouri and or Kansas City was like when they got here in part informed their decision as their own understanding was evolving and unfolding and their own learning. How do we present this in a way that we don't bring, you know, wrath down on ourselves and we can do the most good. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
I don't know if all of that made sense. No, it did. It's it's so much more context than I've ever had mm. for this yeah. story. So, well, people were, and when you look at the people, when you read some of the stuff of people coming to go, because Charles was like, go to your, I want you to be the best Methodist you can be. I want you to be the best Baptist you can be. So mm-hmm. Sunday mornings, it was not about church. It was go, if you have a, a place of worship you go to, go to that. And then we'll get together and we'll have conversations about, you know, um, metaphysics, metaphysical conversations. We'll talk about the Bible. We'll talk about, you know, what's going on in our world today and how we can respond to it from our, from what we believe from, Mm -hmm. you know, from our own principles, from our faith, which is, you know, if you read them chronologically, if you read Myrtle chronologically, you can see her own evolution. She's just like you and me. We're, you know, constantly evolving and, you know, sort of expanding what we understand and how we say it and, and how we apply it. So if anyone's listening who doesn't know the the story, at least the traditional story, Charles and Myrtle went to uh, hear a speaker one night named E.B. Weeks. And Myrtle was just seized with this idea, I'm a child of God, which means I don't inherit sickness. She had been told all her life that she was sickly like her father. It was inherited. Nothing she could do about it. And she finally realized she could. So she went home and started meditating. That the way you would tell the story? I uh, yeah, she um, and I would even go so far as you know, saying meditating, but even being you know, adding a sentence or two of specificity. She she talked to the cells in her body. The first the first step was to ask them for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Which, I love um, that. I know for hating and, them, for blaming them for all her problems, yeah. for talking smack about them. Yep. And one of our shows later in this series is is about Myrtle's healing and her healing methods specifically, mm-hmm. more about what she yep. said about it. Yeah. But she um, um, – and I, and I think also that that lecture that where she heard that, I've, I, for me, I've come to believe that that's one of those times where you hear something that you've heard before, but you hear it when you're ready to hear it kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that was the first time she had heard something of that nature, but um, she just, I think it was, you know, when the student is ready kind of idea. Right. It could um, also have been one of those times when she heard something the speaker didn't actually say. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> as speakers, we know that happens. Yes. How many times have I stood at the back of the church and people come through great talk and they tell you what you said and you're like, yeah, I didn't say that, but I'm glad you heard it and it works for you. Yes. Right. That's what I'm, I smile every time that happens. I smile. (laughs) So they were, they started investigating these spiritual ideas Mm -hmm. and in order to share them, they did not start a church. They started a magazine, which we still have today called Unity Magazine. But you were telling me they... In the very early days, they had pamphlets about Hinduism and other things yes. they were so, offering. Well, and it would be about the same time that um, also that Unity uh, was it called? It wasn't called Unity. It was called Modern Thought Magazine mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So um, there. So Modern Thought Magazine came out in April of eighteen eighty nine, um, and they advertised books and pamphlets that they sold in their office that was in downtown Kansas city. And some of those pamphlets were, um, about, um, the Bhagavad Gita, the ideal of a universal religion, the Hindu concept of God, 
um, bhakti yoga. I mean, they were offered pamphlets about um, um, Buddhist and Hindu and and um, Eastern philosophy, along with you know multiple other things. But uh, yeah, I never knew that. That's not been part of the traditional story. I mean, I knew that Hindu greatly influenced well, unity, but I yes. didn't know they were selling it in the early days. Well, uh, yeah, this is, yeah, so the, uh, um, from our archivist, from Eric Page, from his, his research, when you look at the Fillmore's, their 1889 inventory of what they sold um, um, from, um, from the Kansas City before they moved to the village, Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was, that would have been, um, you know, the place where the vegetarian restaurant was, uh, that would have been, you know, that was the kind of the home office. Um, and so they would have sold multiple things, including, um, including writings of Annie Ricks Millets and writings of Mary Baker Eddy of Emma Curtis Hopkins. Um, so they would have sold multiple, um, uh, pamphlets and books from different writers mm-hmm. that um, from New Thought to Eastern related to uh, um, even um, some, you know, less, less, certainly less about traditional Christianity. That's so interesting to me. I didn't, I, maybe I'm a snob. I didn't even realize they had access to that kind of writing, you know, in the Midwest in the 1800s. And- right. So, yeah, well, some a lot of that also would have been um, after the so the Parliament of the first Parliament of the World's Religions was eighteen ninety three in Chicago, and we know that Charles and Myrtle went to that, yes, and that was the the introduction of Eastern philosophy to the Western world by Swami Vivekananda, mm-hmm. um, and um, so they would have been exposed to that, um, and they would have already been exposed to you know, transcendentalists, they would have already been exposed to um, theosophy, you know, Blavatsky's work, they would have, um, so this would have given them expanded um, uh, introduction, expanded knowledge into Eastern philosophy, and and Vivekananda was, uh, wrote a lot. Um, And in fact, um, he came to, um, I think he came to Des Moines, Iowa, shortly after the Parliament of the World's Religions, um, and he did. And Annie Ricks Millets, who's one of the the, um, the helped found New Thought, one of the founders of New Thought. Um, her home base was in California, and in 1900, Vivekananda spoke out there at her home of truth in California. Um, and so, because of um, Annie Ricks Millets, who's the, you know one of those New Thought shoulders we stand on there would have, and they were very much connected and close with Charles and Myrtle. So there's this, that, the, that wonderful world word syncretism, which is this sort of blending and melding and learning and evolution and, and connecting philosophical and spiritual and religious ideas. Um, I think they had more access than we realize. They did. And then yeah. in order to share these ideas, they were packaging it for these Catholic, Lutheran, Midwesterners. Yeah. So we get a lot of traditional Christian language from Mm -hmm. them, but what they're saying is not necessarily traditional Christianity. Right. And and I think this is confusing in unity today because you can find something from the Fillmore's to back up any point you want to make. 
Well, yeah, they use the they use they call God He mm-hmm. and Father. So, yeah. So I I sometimes think that some of it I believe is just embedded theology. It's what you know. It's that's certainly what Myrtle knew, what mm-hmm. she would have grown up with, and so it's, it's kind of there's the unconscious nature and vocabulary. Oftentimes, you know we get stuck and limits us in, in, you know, with vocabulary. And I sometimes wonder if it wasn't when I read letters that she's written to people, just meeting someone where they're at, how right. can I say this in a way they can hear it and right. receive it? So they just, Unity was founded in 1889 and in 1890, she started the Society of Silent Help, which is now Silent Unity, the 24 hour prayer ministry that you can right. reach by, letter, phone, text, email, website, all the usual ways. Why was she, I don't even know the question, why was she so interested in prayer? Why was that her thing? And was it more her thing than his? I don't, I don't, I I think it was, uh, I think what was more her thing was, um so this might be totally heretical but i think her her, i know right g kelly do something different i think it was uh i'm not sure that prayer was her thing as much as healing was her thing and the an avenue for healing is prayer affirmative prayer um and um and using prayer as a, a vehicle, as an avenue for, for, uh, for that forgiveness of yourselves, for that bringing yourself into alignment, for that, you know, what I said, that Lankavatar Sutra where we involve and we come from spirit into physical form and then move back to the perfection of spiritual form. So prayer and meditation becomes this avenue, this mechanism for for um for wholeness for healing for um and not just physical healing but you know emotional for psychological for um how do i you know expand and and be how do i wake up and um how do i wake up and be more of who i was created to be Mm -hmm. she um she one of the uh the writers that she she I've come across several times is a, a gentleman by the name of Will Levington Comfort, um, and he was a um, he he wrote he was a he wrote a lot of uh, wrote a lot of books and stories and an adventure writer, but in one of one of the things she quotes out of one of his books, she says, "Dreaming is splendid. The dreamer receives. The dreamer starts all things, but the dreamer becomes a hopeless ineffectual if he does not make his dreams come true in matter." We are here to make matter follow the dream. That's why the spirit puts on flesh. That's why we are workmen. Action is the right hand of thought. Is that Will Levington Comfort? That's Will Levington Comfort, but she quotes him. Mm-hmm. Um, so she uses that. Because that's and the law that, of mind action. Well, that's what, and yeah. Um, and so she, that's what I think. So in terms of healing is you know, we're the dreamer and we start all things, but unless we have the dream come into matter, we're just hopelessly ineffectual. So, so prayer becomes the mechanism for bringing the dream into 
you know, for putting flesh on it. Okay. And that's how Myrtle used it in her own healing. Yeah. In her own healing and which then impacted how she showed up in the world. Because the part of the story that we often miss with Myrtle is that it wasn't just navel gazing, you know, prayer that you, if you were not putting feet on what you believed, if you were not putting feet on what you were, you know, when she offered the prayers, you know, when she would write someone back in a letter and, and here's, here's the prayer from, here's our prayer from silent unity for you. There's always, almost always something in there about getting outside of yourself and being, you know, giving to someone else. Like there's, that's the rest of, it's like a mathematical equation. There Mm -hmm. has to be the element of, of, you know, action. So, you know, like comfort says action is the right hand of thought. And we've got a whole week scheduled on Myrtle and social justice and sacred service. Next week, we're going to talk about her activities in the women's movement of her day, which I'm eager to hear about. Kelly Isla, thank you so much for being on Voices of Unity. Kelly will be back next week. And we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.